Have you had a busy week in the market? Not had time to catch up with the latest trends? Well, welcome to Cloud9Fin, our suite of podcasts where we bring you the need-to-know information on deals, documentation, ESG, and we deep dive into the themes showing up in the high-yield, leverage loans, and restructuring spaces. We also have our US podcast, which features discussions with members of the North American Levfin market with US editor Will Cager-Smith, so be sure to check in every second Thursday for that. I'm Catherine Hidalgo, a loans reporter at Ninefin, and I'll be your host for today when we'll be speaking to Stuart Brinkworth, the head of leverage finance in Europe for Mayor Brown. Stuart has acted on more than 200 deals assisting lenders uh, such as credit and debt funds, sponsors and sponsor-backed portfolio companies on a number of UK, European and cross-border leverage finance transactions. He's worked on pretty much everything you could think of, private equity-backed leverage buyouts, public bids, recaps, rescue-style financings and restructurings. He's experienced across all elements of the debt capital structure. We're very lucky to have him. So without further ado, Stuart, how's the new year been treating you? Very cold. <laughs> uh, it's been quite busy. I think there's been a few things that have uh, didn't close at the end of last year that, that we're finishing off now. So uh, it's been nice to come back into the office and, and uh, have things to focus on um, but I th- you know and I think we're quite hopeful uh, for this year uh, in terms of activity clearly we're still in a uh, some throes of market turmoil and economic uh, issues at the moment but I, I think we're quite hopeful as the year goes on particularly as the inflation story starts to kind of unwind a little bit that, that you know activity will pick up. What are your thoughts on inflation right now? Uh, I, I think um, I think um, Rishi Sunak's been quite cheeky. I think saying he's going to half inflation by the end of the year because I think most people expect inflation to, to kind of tail off as we get into that year-on-year comparison of, of prices. That's not to say prices aren't still rising, as, as we've seen with today with the uh, with the inflation report. Particularly, uh, you know, food is, is obviously still an area where prices are going up. But um, but no, I think most people are hoping that you know we've we've reached the peak. Uh, certainly, more, more on the kind of downhill slope, which, given everything else businesses have to contend with, uh, would, would be helpful. We're going to get a bit more into that later, but to kick off our discussion, I wanted to ask what trends do you foresee in direct lending for 2023? I think 23 is going to be an interesting year for direct lending because it's and already has had to start coping with something it's not had to cope with before. You know, direct lending really came to the fore in 2013-14 in the UK and really since then that we've been in a very low interest rate environment and we haven't had to contend with this level of interest rates since before the financial crisis and so this is really the first time that direct lending and high, higher interest rates have, have kind of come together and you know of course that's making, making direct lending much more expensive than it was. Um, you know, people are now paying, you know, 10% plus all in, um, which they haven't had to contend with, uh, certainly not for, for Unitranche, um, you know, in the last few years. So I think that that in itself is going to pose some interesting challenges, both from a borrower perspective. Um, you know, I've got borrower clients who, you know, have got businesses who are actually doing quite well um, and may only be two, two and a half times levered and they're paying 10% cost for their debt which is obviously very expensive um so so i I think you know we may well see refinancings come to the fore this year as people try and unwind some of those 
uh, very expensive positions where they can, of course, find cheaper alternatives. And that means that you know we may well see, for instance, banks become more competitive uh, in 2023. And I think one of my views of this year is that there's a real opportunity for banks, if they want to take it, to start competing with Unitranche. Because I think you know leverage will come down. I think Unitranche has offered some fantastic leverage opportunities for uh, for sponsors over the last few years. But as the cost of debt has gone up, and uh, you know you look at the other. Uh, cost pressures that businesses are under, clearly the the leverage levels will have to come down. And, and indeed, you know, sponsors wouldn't want to be lever- leveraging businesses to the same level given the cost of debt. So once we get into much lower leverage, that does give banks some, uh, an opportunity to start competing again because leverage was probably the main area where Unitranche was, was able to really out-compete with, with banks, um, certainly in the last few years. Um, you know, I think also... Given the economic environment that we're still in, I think funds will probably have smaller hold positions in 2023. Um, and we may even see uh, the rise again of kind of fund club deals. You know, we have seen those at the, the, the sort of you know, mega end of the market. Um, but, but I think in the sort of traditional mid market deals, you know, two or three hundred million of debt, you know, funds have, have happily kind of taken that on their own. Um, you know, where sponsors have allowed them to. But I do think we'll be seeing funds, you know, just wanting to spread risk around deals, not not go in and hold the whole amount, maybe, you know, with one or one or two other funds. As the saying goes, if you're going to get something wrong, you may as well do it with a few other people rather than on your own. So, uh, you know, I, I do think we'll see more um, club deals and more smaller kind of holds um, combined with that this year. It's interesting that you say that, actually, because we heard recently, I was just covering the April insurance deal, a KKR deal that was recently financed uh, by about 10 lenders uh, in in the direct lending market. And apparently KKR had the option of using just one lender, Aries, um, but they were quite keen on having a club. Are smaller hold positions beneficial for sponsors as well? Uh, I think so. I mean, it depends obviously on the deal and what you're planning to do with the uh, with the asset or the company. I would say generally sponsors are reluctant to have single lenders on deals, particularly where they foresee follow-on financing requirements, bolt-on acquisitions clearly being the, 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 the classic case. Because they'll be concerned about the um, the capacity of that lender to be able to do that, and, and we have seen deals um, where an incumbent lender has been replaced by by you know two two other lenders uh, on a bolt-on acquisition that combined with a refinancing because they didn't have the capacity to upsize their their hold levels. So, so I think sponsors will be very conscious of hold levels, not just day one, but what a hold level would be going forward. And clearly, if you bring in two lenders into a deal. Um, then you know, you're, inc- you're, inc- you're increasing the likelihood that the, those lenders can upsize because they're starting from a smaller place. Um, you know, so so I, th- I think from the sponsor's perspective, it is advantageous. But of course, um, you know, you want to avoid, if you can, a situation where you have where you need to go for a consent, for instance, to to multiple lenders, if if you can avoid that kind of scenario. What about in a distress situation? Uh, it's very different. I think. Um, you know, it's hard to generalise because it depends on the lender. One one friendly lender uh, clearly can be better than 
uh, a handful of unfriendly lenders who uh, can block a majority decision if that's what's required. So clearly, if you're dealing with one, um, then you know it's quite binary. They're going to say yes or no. So in some ways, it's easier. But I think it just comes down to who the lenders are and how, how they behave. Speaking of stressed and distressed situations, uh, do you have any thoughts on the more stressed side of the market? Uh, any trends that you foresee there? We've already seen, you know, some distress. The increase in in debt service costs, you know, EBITDA is under pressure, not just from that, but from other, you know, the energy crisis, rising uh, day-to-day business costs, staff costs, those kind of things. They're going to put EBITDA under pressure, and so you know people are going to start to bump up against their covenants, if not, you know, go through them. So I think we'll see a lot of covenant renegotiations um, and a lot of distress. And of course, you know, the, the question will always be with lenders, you know, is this a, a short-term issue? As we saw with COVID, I think you know most people kind of with COVID did kick the can down the road and say, well, let's you know let's just get through this and see where we are on the other side. And of course, the other side wasn't hasn't been quite as pretty as as uh, people thought it would be uh, notwithstanding 2021 obviously which was which was a, a kind of bumpy year on on uh, the deal side and so i think you know lenders will probably want to come up with longer term more permanent solutions to distress than maybe they did during covid and so we may well see uh, you know people swapping debt for equity you know there may be just new money requirements that require uh, debt to be paid down so i think 23 uh, you know, we're, we're going to start to see those sort of situations come to the fore. Is there a major maturity wall to tackle in your market? I'm not, I'm not sure we're necessarily yet into a kind of refinancing wall. I don't think it's far off, actually. I think 24 maybe you know, maybe the year where uh, a lot of the deals, um, you know, particularly deals that were done in sort of 18, in 2018 that weren't able to refi during the COVID period when that would have been their natural kind of time to refi and haven't really recovered since, you know, may, those kind of deals may start to come to the fore as well, where people actually need to refinance, but can't refinance at the same level as their, as their current debt. And I think that that's going to be quite an interesting uh, situation as well. We touched on this a little bit earlier in the discussion, but how well equipped do you think businesses are for rising interest costs or, or any other obstacles that they might face in the next year? Look, I think you know, clear, clearly given the interest rate environment we were in, there wasn't a lot of hedging around there. So businesses aren't necessarily hedged uh, or, or weren't. Uh, very few of them were kind of hedged for for what we went through, and indeed, you know, hedging requirements dropped out of deals a number of years ago, and and now, not surprisingly, are finding their way back into to term sheets, and and lenders are now starting to uh, insist on hedging um, as they used to, uh, particularly pre financial crisis. But of course, it's not just about uh, rising interest costs; it's about rising costs. Full stop. Because Businesses are having to contend with a, a perfect storm of, you know, utility, uh, rising utility costs, rising wage inflation, supply chain issues, which are causing, you know, costs on the supply side to increase. So it's really a question of how businesses are managing costs full stop rather than just interest costs. But you know, clearly the interest costs um, have a direct impact on, uh, given we're talking about senior secure debt on, um, you know, lenders that have security over the assets. So I'm, I'm sure those are a high priority. 
do you think that higher costs and higher interest costs impact the smaller end of the market more severely? Do you think it might have an impact on activity in that end of the market? Um, I think at the smaller end of the market in particular, I wouldn't say activity would decline, but I think that's where the direct lenders are at most risk of competition from banks, I think, in 2023, because the banks traditionally you know, don't have big hold levels. Um, you know, and, and so I think the, sm- the, the direct lenders who focus on the smaller end of the market are the ones that are going to come under the most competition from the banks in terms of trying to win back market share. Uh, particularly if the leverage levels drop and obviously senior bank debt would be cheaper uh, from a margin and all-in cost perspective. Um, And so I think the direct lenders are going to have to find other ways of of remaining competitive in in that end of the market in particular. Documentation is a big focus of nine fins. How does documentation differ in the private credit market from the syndicated market? Well, clearly the the private credit market clearly has grown upwards from the lower mid market and so the documentation in the private credit market is, is has always been based on um you know, covenanted deals right so that i think this is kind of the the, the crux in the, in the difference really you know we have seen a big convergence in terms general terms between the syndicated market and the private credit market a variety of reasons for that being you know some of the sponsors in in the bigger end of the market have um you know uh, bought smaller assets, uh, but still use you know, been using the terms that they're used to getting, um, and those terms are then crept across, um, you know, through debt advisors or, or lawyers um, in, in, into smaller deals. But I think that the covenant question is probably the, the sort of the big question and the big difference. And you know, private credit, from an investor perspective, is a is a is a product which is senior secure and has a maintenance, at least a maintenance covenant, leverage covenant. Uh, clearly, we you know we used to see a lot more covenants than just a leverage covenant, um, particularly pre-financial crisis and and straight after. But you know that's where the kind of market has has been certainly on the private credit side for a while. And I think those that is the big difference. Now that's not to say that funds can't do cover light deals. There are funds out there who do nothing but cover light deals. Um, there are funds in the mid market that are able uh, through through pockets of. Uh, of investor money to be able to do cover light deals. But I, I, I think the main difference will always still be that covenant and that requirement to have a covenant. Now, as time goes on, particularly as funds grow and they want to do bigger and bigger deals, they are definitely going to have to build in the flexibility in their fund documentation and with their investors to be able to do cover light. But I'd be very surprised if you know, a traditional mid-market fund on its next fundraise, just said we just want to do cover light full stop. Um, and I'd be surprised if that particular investor base would allow them to do that. But you know, clearly that that's going to be where the tension is is between the fund and the investors and what requirements the investors have on the underlying documentation. Because I think the 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 asset class that a lot of the investors uh, want to get access to, you know, is not necessarily the syndicated loan market. Because if they did, they would go into CLOs or uh, invest in different funds than, than some of the mid-market funds. So, so I think that's, that it's, it's going to be very much kind of investor-driven and, uh, you know, with investor kind of permission if, if that part of the market develops. How have you found documentation in the last year in the private credit markets? So, so I think there's, there's, there's no doubt there's, there's definitely been a bit of a tightening of terms generally. I think it's hard, it's hard to generalise because it depends on the credit and it also depends on the competition 
uh, to lend to that credit. So clearly, from a sponsor perspective, the dream scenario is it's a great credit. Everyone wants to lend to it. You know, you can run as many lenders almost as you want in a, in a competitive debt process. And through that process, you can get whatever terms uh, you know you really feel like, and, and you know, because lenders want to be in that deal. The other end of the scale, which which we're seeing more and more, of course, is there are just assets that are very difficult credits, where there are very few lenders who want to lend to those deals, and in particular that at that sort of end of the spectrum, you know, we are seeing a big tightening of terms, and almost, you know, lend, sponsors will almost sort of take what they can get to to, to a point because they'd rather close the deal and have obviously have debt secured for that deal than uh, you know, risk losing the debt over you know, sort of general documentation points. So, so I, I think there's, it, we're definitely in an, in an environment where it's possible to tighten terms, which we haven't been in. Um, you know, certainly 2021 uh, was, was really a high watermark of, of terms. Sponsors were really writing their own paper in 2021. Uh, and it really was, you know, it, it was, it was a, you know, people were just taking terms. Um, whereas I don't think that is the case now. Generally, I, th- I think uh, sponsors are having to be, you know, much more thoughtful about how they go to market, um, particularly with difficult credits. And, and it's more about securing the debt first and foremost, rather than, you know, winning every point on on your precedent that you've had for for the last, you know, five years. So that's all we have time for this week. And thank you so much to Stuart Brinkworth. If you're interested in reading more about some of the trends that Stuart's mentioned today, head to ninefin.com insights, where you can see some of our content in front of the paywall, or you can drop us an email at team at ninefin.com. We're always keen to hear your suggestions for topic ideas, your comments on our discussion, and your feedback on the platform. If you like this podcast, don't forget to like and share it. Tune in for the US edition next week. I'll be back the week after. And in the meantime, don't forget to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music and Google Podcasts.